Welcome to Homegrown History with Limestone County archivist Rebecca Davis and longtime Athens, Alabama native Richard Martin. Each episode, Richard and Rebecca bring to life some of the famous and infamous stories etched in Limestone County's rich history. Hello and welcome back to Homegrown History, the Limestone County, Alabama history podcast. I'm your co-host, Rebecca Davis. I'm the archivist at the Limestone County Archives, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Richard Martin, the oldest one here. That's right, and we are joined once again by our very special guest, local storyteller and master craftsman, Doug Wales. Now, if you did not listen to our last episode, go back and listen to that one first, because Doug has been telling us stories about growing up in Limestone County, but also coming to town, and he and Richard have been swapping experiences, and it was just so much fun that we decided we need to come back and do it again. So with that, welcome back, Doug. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. It's good to have you back again. Yes, it is. And when we stopped the last conversation, we had talked about um, you two as children growing up and coming to town and here in Athens, growing up out in the farm in the county and getting in fights over fish and candy bars. <laughs> but I wanted to um, pick up the conversation and talk just a little bit about what it was like going to Athens schools. You went to East Limestone, That's East right. Limestone schools, and of course, what what you could go to school working around the farm, and you might want to talk about how that worked out, the farm schedule, sure. the school schedule, and just being a young adult and growing up, starting your careers and your families and so on. So with that, I guess, Doug, we'll start with you. Okay. Uh, my day started, now I'm talking about as a teenager, sure. after I got old enough to really work. My day started at 3.30 in the morning oh my goodness. because we lived on a dairy farm. Oh, yeah. So we'd get up and I would assist with the milking of the cows until time for me to go to school. Oh, wow. Now, of course, on the weekends, you'd stay till about 9 o'clock that morning when you're done milking the cows. And then you'd go to the hay field mm-hmm. and you'd work till the lunchtime and then take a little break after lunch for about an hour and rest, and then go back to the hay field till 3.30 and start the milking all over again oh, wow. till 9 or 9.30 that night when you cleaned up the dairy barn. Yeah. Now, but on the days I went to school, I would catch a bus. And so I had to be very cautious to get done with my milking and get cleaned up ready to go to school in time to catch the bus. Mm-hmm. So I'd go on to the bus and go to school and we had uh, had a wonderful time at school. I wanted to tell you about this one fellow that come. A fellow joined our class midway through the year, and uh, we asked him, you know, he, he said his name was Tater. And uh, I thought, well, Tater, that's, I don't know about that. <laughs> but the teacher asked him, now, you're going to register with us. We, You need to give me your name and so forth. And he says, it's Tater. And she said, no, 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 I'm not about your real name. <clears throat> and he said, well, my real name's Tater. <laughs> and they kept on about it till finally I understood why they had nicknamed him Tater because his name was Belvedere. And I don't know what was wrong with his mom and daddy to name a farm boy Belvedere, <laughs> but nevertheless, I can see why they called him Tater. Now, Tater, he told us... <laughs> He said, when I was a little fella, hadn't even started to school yet, said my mother decided it was time for our childhood vaccinations. Mm -hmm. So she took me down to the health department, and that nurse said, don't worry, this ain't going to hurt a bit. 
and said, she stuck that needle in my arm and it hurt for the rest of the day. Said, she didn't tell me the truth. <laughs> and said, then it wasn't too long after I was in maybe the first or second grade, uh, I had lost a tooth and two teeth started coming through the place where that one tooth had been. So mother took me to the dentist and the dentist said, well, now we're going to have to take one of these out otherwise he'll have real crooked teeth. So he said, that dentist told me, he said, now son, this ain't gonna hurt a bit. And said, yeah, Lord have mercy, it did. <laughs> well, we went on and we was playing basketball out there at the school and uh, somehow he fell kind of crooked and dislocated his shoulder. Ooh. And our coach was real good at first aid sports medicine. And he laid that boy down on the floor and put his foot against his chest and he grabbed hold of his arm. He said, now this ain't going to hurt a bit. And he jerked that arm and you could heard him scream, clean the capsule. <laughs> well, he went on and graduated or whatever. You know, we lost track of him. And then we heard later on that he had found him a little girlfriend and they were going to get married. And said they went up to the justice of the peace at the probate office and had a suit on. He never had been in a suit before and he never had been to the courthouse before. And he was just nervous as he could be <laughs> and said that, oh, uh, justice of the peace. And I know the name of that justice of the peace. It was James Newby at that yes. time. Yeah. Well, anyway, James Newby come out there and he put his arm around him and he says, now, don't worry, son. This ain't going to hurt a bit. I want you to know he run out of that courthouse, and I don't think he ever did get married. But that's kind of what things happened. Poor tater. I was going to school. It sure was. So with all that milk and cows and all that, you didn't have time for any football or baseball or anything like that, no, did you? No, really, we didn't, because they were required to stay after school. To, right. to practice, and then you had to go on Saturdays sometimes to practice, sure. and I was busy at the farm. With yeah. that. But I didn't regard the farm work as, as punishment. As a matter of fact, I was just proud to get to contribute, you know. Right. That's what you did. You uh, Work wasn't a dirty word, yeah. right? you know, and I don't know why it had turned into that, but it wasn't for us. That's what we did, even on a rainy day. Papa would send us to the crib to shuck corn or pick peanuts off the... When they harvested peanuts, they left them on the plant. And then you'd have to pick the peanuts off and clean them and put them in a bag or something. So there was always something to do on a rainy day even. Sure, sure. sure. Well, what was it like for you, Richard, growing up in town and going to Athens City Schools? Where'd you go to school? I went to Athens Elementary and Athens Junior High, which is all up in north of town. I would ride my bike to school and all like that. And then in junior high, I was becoming a teenager and I was interested, you know, I got interested in girls and I got interested in music and uh, rock and roll music. And uh, for Christmas, my mother and daddy gave my sister and I a 45 record player and we'd buy these 45 records. Mm -hmm. And we would go to dances at the Scout House here in town. And they would call me up, Richard, I'm having a dance. I want you to come. Will you please come? I said, oh, yes, I'd be glad to. 
oh, by the way, would you bring your record player and records and come early and set up? Uh-huh. I said, oh, okay, well, all right. <laughs> but anyway, I would do that, and we would play the music, and we would slow dance. Uh, we would rock and roll dance, jitterbug and bop and waltz and whatever it took. And, but we enjoyed it, and then we'd take a break and then take the little girls outside and walk around the scout house and hold hands <laughs> and, and then come back in and dance some more. <laughs> what do we do? Well, in the scout house, for those of you who don't know, that's over there just up the hill from Big Spring Park there on Washington Street. They're wanting to turn that into a music museum. Right. It, the Red House there for years. Yeah. Well, and wasn't it your brother who said he didn't like those dances? Because uh, I'll tell about that. Not my oldest, but my middle brother, David, was shy and bashful. And he always complained he had to walk to the dance. And then when he got there, the girls wanted to hold his hand. They had to go walk around there, and he didn't like that. And then he had to walk at home, so he wasn't going to go to no more of these parties because he had to walk everything. So he went. But David turned out okay. He turned out the best of all. <laughs> well, now tell a little bit about, because um, you and your brothers all did uh-huh. play football and work and so Tell a little bit about that. Uh, my oldest brother, Freddie, and my other oldest brother, David, set a stage for me to follow. You were the baby, weren't you? I was you? the you baby. sister named Mamie. Right. And they played for Athens High School football. But during the summer months, they would get jobs at Chambers Lumber Company or Athens Lumber Company and work in the summertime to, you know, make their body strong and be used to the heat. And, of course, get paid 50 cents an hour. And that was big money back then. So, And we would save that money up. And my brother David bought a car after his junior year. Daddy traded a tractor for a Jeep, and David paid for the parts to get it fixed and had that Jeep, so he was very popular riding that Jeep all over Athens. So between your record player right. and David's Jeep, Jeep. We y'all the, were the men about town, weren't We you? were the men about town. We got to go everywhere. We <laughs> had fun, too. And we were in the Boy Scouts. We had a Boy Scout troop here. We had two great leaders, Codward Chambers and Richard Tyler Woods, and we built a boathouse out of plywood and could sleep uh, eight and had a stove and everything. We'd go on the Tennessee River and Elk River and down those places and just have a blast. So scouting was a big part of us brothers. We all three enjoyed it all. And then in high school, I dated this girl, and she got a radio program at WJMW called Teen Tune Time. And she would play the rock and roll, and she'd start off with shake, rattle, and roll, <laughs> and comic, and then end up with, what was the other one they had? Blueberry Hill. End up with oh, Blueberry yeah, yeah. Hill, Fast mm-hmm. Dominoes. Mm-hmm. So we, that was an hour and a half program. We, every Saturday, we'd do that. So we had, you know, a great teenage life, and we were lucky, and our churches were very important. We had youth programs that our preachers and mothers and fathers see to it that we learn what we could learn in religion and all that. Where'd y'all grow up going to church? We went to the First Methodist Church here Okay. Okay. Well, you still go to this day? I still go to this day, still sit in the same pew. <laughs> That's <laughs> the Richard name. Martin pew. It's the Martin pew, they said. <laughs> but anyway, religion was an important part of our life, too. Yeah. So when you were at Athens High School, that was when it was over here on Clinton Street, um, on right. corner of Clinton and Forest, and y'all played at the old football field that's there. That's right. Didn't that's, you? that's right. And we had a lot of boys that played football and got scholarships to all over the southeast part of the United States, and some played, even played pro football. 
was going to say, your friend Steve Allen was one of them, wasn't he? Steve Allen, I had to beg him to go out for football his freshman year, and he finally, his daddy didn't want him to because he wanted to play the trumpet. But as it turns out, his senior year, he made All-State and got a scholarship to Alabama and later on became captain of the Alabama football team. Mm -hmm. So he did very well. And my brother David did very well in football. Vince Lombardi wanted him to come at the Green Bay Packers and play for them, but he had enough. Jerry Jones wrote to him and wanted him to come. But David says he's had enough football. He wants to get on with life. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I know we're talking about football a lot, but I want you to tell the story about when Athens beat Decatur. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Start from the beginning about how long had it been at that time before Athens beat Decatur always beat Athens in football, always, always. And finally, we got this coach, Furman Elmore, and he knew how to get the boys excited and get them going. But to play Decatur, it was a big thing. Uh, there was a rolling club here in Athens, and the Decatur Rolling Club boys would come over and make fun of Athens. So that didn't happen. And the church groups that have MYF groups, and we'd meet with the Cater group. They'd make fun of Athens old football. They don't know what they do. Y'all going river rats. <laughs> it built up a big rivalry. So we would go play them in Athens. It was my brother's senior year. I was an eighth grader, so I didn't play. And Coach Elmore finally told us, says, I am so tired of being beat by these boys. And you seniors have got to do this. You'll never get another chance. And says, put pride in it. And let's do it. And so, uh, so no, they went out there, and, and by the halftime, I think it was tied up. And then in the third quarter, James A.G. intercepted a ball, made a touchdown. And then the fourth quarter, I think Carol Daniels made a short run and made a touchdown, and Athens won. And the town went wild. Because that was the first time Athens had ever beat Decatur, wasn't it? What year was this? This was 1953, football season of 53. Okay. And my oldest brother, Freddie, was at Auburn. And see, what you got to remember is that uh, when the boys were off in the war, they'd write letters. How did Athens and Decatur turn out? They'd mm-hmm. have to tell them. But anyway, Freddie came home from Auburn that weekend to see the game because that's how important it was. Mm-hmm. And when we won, Freddie rolled up his breeches leg, wasn't drinking, rolled up his breeches leg and led the Athens band from the Athens High School down to the courthouse square <laughs> like a majorette. So everybody was down on the square after that. Some truck driver came through and says, oh, my God, what's happening? Is the president of the United States going, no, Athens beat Decatur. My brother David and his friend Bobby Swanger and Itchy Wigginton, well, they didn't come down the square. The fair was here, the county fair. So they went to the Hoochie Coochie show. Yeah. <laughs> and so they missed the parade downtown and everything. And later on, they were wondering where everybody was. But everybody was downtown celebrating, and it was a big deal. And from now on out, Athens took care of Decatur quite a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, my mom grew up in Decatur. And, uh, of course, now my kids, my son plays football for Athens, and she can't hardly stand to come to the game whenever Athens plays Cater because her loyalties are so divided. And you got to think about it, because Athens High School, it was actually established as the high school in 1934, but before that it was the Ag School. Ag and school. the Aggies would play, have football. So you talk about at least 20 or 30 years that Athens had been playing Decatur and losing, right? Right, right. I mean, that's still a rivalry to this day. That's right. 
So, Doug, I know one of the things we had mentioned before we started recording is um, what it was like a little bit about courting. And I was wondering what it was like for y'all when y'all were courting the ladies back in the day. Well, I didn't have a car, so there wasn't much going off somewhere uh-huh. to court. The idea of courting was maybe you could sit next to somebody at church uh-huh. that she was kind of fond of or wanted to get to know better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, at school, uh, if there was somebody in the class or in maybe a, a upper class that she was kind of interested in, you'd always try at study hall or somewhere to sit next to that person or maybe to swap notes with that person, mm-hmm. you know. But as far as actual going out courting, we didn't get to do that much. I didn't get my first car until I graduated from high school. My mother and daddy gave me a 55 Chevrolet. And uh, that was the way it was. You you didn't have formal courting much. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, you'd try to go to every party or every social get-together. I don't care if it was what they used to call all-day singing and dinner on the ground at church. (laughs) You'd go there. That was a social event. It was pretty restricted. You know, It wasn't quite like in the Puritan days, but it was still uh, restricted by the mechanics. I didn't have a car, and I doubt if very many parents would let their daughters go off with you in a car anyway. It it just didn't happen. If there was kind of a group of you, Right. There was one fella in our class that uh, his daddy would let him borrow the car, mm-hmm. but there had to be several people with him. He said, you get off and have a flat tire, you might not be able to fix it by yourself. Mm-hmm. So you pick up several people to go with you, you mm-hmm. know, or some of the boys to go with you. And, of course, we always managed to try to get some girls to go along, too. <laughs> and if there was two or three of them, usually they would. But they didn't not one girl get in the car with nobody no. by themselves, no. you see. Uh-huh. But we would do things like drive to uh, mm-hmm. the old Woolly Springs Hotel, and we would kind of tour it because I had played there a lot when I was a little kid. But mm-hmm. as a teenager, we'd drive there and impress them with it and tell them that it was full of ghosts. Of course. Uh, that they might not ought to get out and climb in it or anything. <laughs> that there was known haints that lived there. So... uh Anyway, the courting was kind of limited, but it was a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, you mentioned the fair a while ago. A lot of times you could go to the fair. You might meet up with somebody at the fair, and they'd let you, the parents would be with them, of course, but they'd let you, say, ride the Ferris wheel together. Oh, very and romantic. when you got back to the ground, of course, they went their way, and you went your way, you know. So uh, I remember... One time, I had been along pretty good, but I didn't have a lot of money. And somebody said, you know, you can sell hot dogs and stuff at the fair. And I said, well, you know what? I wonder if you could sell boiled corn. So I asked the people up there at the fairground, and they said, yeah, set you up a kettle there and cook your corn right there. And if you can't sell it, give it away. Well, I want you to know I sold boiled corn at the fair. And... When it was over with, I saw uh, two of the men that worked for the city saying to me, I don't know if you sold any corn or not, but we picked up two truckloads of cobs after that (laughs) fair was over with. And uh, 
Uh, but did I did have a lot of fun. Hey, they didn't have to buy toilet paper for months, did they? <laughs> Talking about those county fairs, it was a big deal when we oh, were geez. Everybody would display their stuff. Different people would make pies and cakes and jams. But they'd let the school kids out on Friday at lunch, and the rides were 10 cents. So we all got, we city kids got to do that yeah. and all like that. But the fair was a big a big thing. And then later on, they uh, turned it into a horse race, mm-hmm. a harness race. Mm-hmm. I remember some of those. Mm-hmm. The county fair was a big thing. It was <laughs> a lot bigger back then than it is now. I know oh, we gosh. have pictures at the archives. So the old fairgrounds, when y'all were coming up, was there on the corner of where Market and Hines Streets right. meet. And we have pictures of horse races. Yeah. There was a big old grandstand. And, and then yeah. later on in the 70s, there were motorcycle races right. down there through there, too. Lots of things that people don't do in Limestone County anymore. I'm like, man, I think Limestone County, when y'all were growing up, was a lot more lit than it is nowadays. Oh, it was lit. <laughs> and it was, it was really fun. And to get you interested in coming to the fair for months before the fair, they would give you tickets at various merchants yeah. for the fair. Right. And that ticket now would entitle you for a drawing That's for right. a prize. I and my, cars, my grandfather, who owned the little Serview Cafe, yeah. won their first electric cook stove. Oh, really? Yes. And, of course, later on, they had a, a car. There. Oh, yeah. right. and, and people would have... Thousands of tickets right. looking through right. to try to find if they had the draw number or not. Well, that was a big deal. We actually have pictures of the archives of the car that they were going to give away at the fair and everything. Yeah. And uh, like you were mentioning, a lot of people didn't have cars of their own back then. Well, that's right. And so if you could win a car, or at least especially not a brand new car, they might not have. It was so. a brand new car. Yeah. yeah. So it's that was comfortable. a big deal. I want to double back a little bit because this is something that I had meant for us to ask about, talk about earlier, was Woolly Springs Hotel. So we've talked some in this homegrown history about Woolly Springs Hotel and Resort there. And I ran an article in the paper not long ago and had the picture that was wrong. And Doug straightened me out because he grew up in that area. And I want you to tell us what you know about Woolly Springs Hotel and your experience with it. Well, when I was about nine or ten years old, my mother took us there, me and my sister, Mm -hmm. to see what she called the 18th Century Hotel. Mm -hmm. And she said, it's old abandoned now. Well, we went there, and I thought it was the most gorgeous thing I'd ever seen. And uh, we got out and walked around and and climbed the stairs and did things like that and stayed there for a little while. And it got to where I was so fascinated with it that Mother would take me and my cousins up there and just leave us and let us play up there. Did you swim? Uh, no. We're talking about the hotel itself. Okay. But now it was up near the Old Springs, wasn't it? Is it east of 251 on Woolly Springs? Actually, this past week, I went and located the old site of the Woolly Springs Hotel, which actually does face Thatch Road. And it's about a hundred yards off of Woolly Springs Road. And there's a house sitting there now that's almost as big and long as a ranch style house as the old hotel was. Oh, really? And then I got to exploring more. And behind the hotel, there's the ground goes slightly down and then there's a valley yes. and then a sharp hill. Uh-huh. And about a third of the way up that hill, 
someone has built a modern-day spring house. Oh, okay. So it looked like to me, now I haven't confirmed all this yet, that the spring would have come out and down, and in that depression would have been where they could soak in a lake, lake lake-like. I was told by another person, they said that they had uh, barrel staves Mm -hmm. put up like this huge barrel, but it would be what we call a hot tub. For the water to run in, people to sit and stoke in. Oh, that's so neat. I don't know. I haven't confirmed all that, and I'm working on it. It was, right. it was really interesting. And we, as kids, when we were playing there, we pretended that was an old army boat, mm-hmm. like you'd see in the Western right. movies. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, me and my cousins, we'd go and we had our slingshots that we had made from old car inner tubes, you know, and we had our pockets stuffed full of green plums. In those days, there were big thickets of wild plums that would grow alongside roads. They was either red or they were yellow. Mm-hmm. But we picked the green ones, and that was our ammunition. And we got pretty good <laughs> at uh, shooting slingshots. And we'd get up on the the balcony or the porch, and we'd shoot down, you know, and we we just had fun. We were supposed to be uh, defending the fort against the Indians, mm-hmm. but you didn't have to have Indians. You could pretend. Our imaginations were, were just fantastic in those days. Right. You know, you can imagine whatever. But I'm very interested in going ahead and doing more research concerning the uh, hotel so we can find out, indeed, is this the property that was yeah. owned by the original people? Well, we can help you with that, Doug. How about this? You do all your research and find all the stories and compile them. We'll help you do the abstract of deed, and we'll just trade. You scratch Uh, our back, we'll scratch yours. How about that? I love back scratching. (laughs) Me too. Well, and, you know, that Woolly Springs Hotel is is interesting because Joel Woolley was the first one to settle in that area in the early 1800s, and he discovered a, a spring that had sulfur in it. And back then they thought sulfur had these healing properties, and maybe it does. Of course, it don't smell too great. Smells like rotten eggs. If you ever come near a sulfur spring, you know it, don't you? you? (laughs) But, you know, that's where the Woolly Springs Resort and then the Millhouse Resort. And people, from what I understand, would come from all over to soak in the healing waters of the Woolly Springs. And you told me something interesting about where that sulfur water comes from. Uh, It comes from below. We have in this all of North Alabama here, really, geologically, you go down and you get your limestone rock layer. But below that is a layer of black slate rock that's called Chattanooga Shale. Mm-hmm. And if you take a piece of that and you bust it with a hammer, it smells just like sulfur. Mm-hmm. And below that is where our sulfur water comes from. Mm-hmm. If you dig a well here that's 80 feet deep, you get fresh water. Mm-hmm. If you go past 100 feet, it's sulfur water. Mm-hmm. So it could be that that sharp hill that comes yeah. up past that could be a crack in that layer, which would have led through that. Not only would it have been sulfur water, but it would have been warmer than the 58 degrees. See, the water comes out of the ground at 58 degrees, fresh water. I didn't uh, know it was exactly 58 Yes, it is. But this water coming from way down below the layer of uh, slate comes out much warmer. It's not hot water now, but it's much warmer. 
Well, the Woolly Spring I read about said it was cool water. Am I it wrong? It probably was. At 70 degrees, it still feel cool. Yes. Right. Oh, yeah. Even though it's warmer than 58 degrees, right. it's still cool water. Right. Right. Okay. Well, and they used to have baptisms up there, too, because I know we've got pictures of the archives of people getting baptized down there in that Woolly Spring, too. Right. Oh, yeah. Going down to the river to pray. Study yeah. about that good old way. Doug, you're so full of stories. That we could talk all day and never be done, but I didn't know if, if there was anything else that you had thought of. Y'all really want to tell this story. Well, one one thing that I want to touch on is the one room schoolhouse. Well, go ahead and tell us now. We got enough time to talk. Well, about in nineteen, uh, well, it was the early fifties, one or two. Uh-huh. Me and my sister had been going to East Limestone, which had about five hundred children, and my mother said to us, "I'm going to take you out of school." I would like for you to go to school, to a one-room schoolhouse for just one year. We'll go back to the big school. But I want you to experience what it was like to be in that environment. Mm -hmm. Well, it turned out that Fairmount School was a two-room schoolhouse, uh, and they had a lunchroom. But uh, she enrolled us there. Mm -hmm. Tell us where Fairmount was. Uh, Fairmount is located on Nick Davis Road. Just beyond Mooresville Road, where Mooresville Road crosses Nick Davis, yes. it's just right there at the corner of Mooresville Road okay. was a, a store that my grandfather built in the I 30s. I remember that little red store. But just beyond that, uh, east of Mooresville Road, on the left-hand side, that site is uh, where Fairmount School was, and it has the well pump. With its hand pump, it's still there in the yard of that house. And we used to pump water for the school out of that well. And it's still there now. That's neat. Uh, It's still located there. But that was the school. Uh, It was a a unique experience. Uh, In our room, there was the third grade, the fifth grade, and the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. And then the other room was the first, second, and fourth the reason it was divided that way was because of the population. You had to balance the kids out oh, yeah. more in the fourth grade, so they put them in that room. Right. It was a wonderful place there. Yeah. It was really a nice experience because, of course, everybody knew everybody else and the name of their dog. And a lot of times <laughs> the dog followed them to school, you know. It was just the way it was. So did you have just one teacher in each classroom yes. teaching all those different grades? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And now, I guess back then, there was an outhouse, too. There wasn't oh, any yes. indoor plumbing, was there? Oh, yes, there was outhouses, yes. We had the girls' outhouse on one end and the men's on the other side. Mm-hmm. And was it that way when y'all were growing up out in your farm, or did y'all have indoor plumbing out there? Well, my great-grandparents, he had running water in the house as far as having a sink, mm-hmm. but there was no bathroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lived in another house on that same farm. And you had to draw water out of a well. Mm-hmm. And uh, children were forbidden to be around the well because yeah. you didn't want kids falling in the well. Of course. So as mother would draw a bucket of water out of the well, I would stand off and watch her do it. And when I got to be a pretty good-sized boy, I was probably old, 10, 11 years old, I kept after mother to let me draw a bucket of water. And she says, well, all right, I'll stand here with you, and you draw a bucket of water. If you do it good, that'll be all right. So I drew it just as good as she did. And she says, all right, 
She says, now I'm going to wash today. I want you to fill up the wash kettle over here so I can heat it up and fill up them two tubs for rinse water over there. And when you get done with that, fill up the trough for the old cow out there. <laughs> and a cow can drink a bucket of water before you can draw another one out uh-huh. of the well. So by the time I got done drawing water that day, I wish I had never learned how to draw water out of the well. <laughs> but I bet your mama appreciated the help, didn't she? From then on, yeah. when she needed a bucket of water for the house, I went to the well. Yeah. <laughs> and we always had to do Saturday night baths, you know. And you know, one thing we would do is put that tub out in the sun draw the water up early that morning and the sun all day would warm it up to a good lukewarm right. for taking a bath that night. So yeah, Now, were y'all one of those families that the whole family had to take <laughs> bath in the same bath water? Oh, no, not Because <laughs> no, we had three or four number oh, two okay. water tubs. You uh, know that's where that saying comes, don't throw the baby out with the bath water? Yeah. Because you'd start with daddy and mama and then all the kids and by the time you get down to the baby... Water be so full of mud and dirt, you couldn't find the baby in there. <laughs> yeah, and you know something else in those days, we didn't necessarily have big fluffy towels. We made towels out of flour sacks, a third mm-hmm. or fertilizer sack, whatever we could find. And you made clothes out of them too, you know. So my aunt uh, Thelma had made Scotty, my cousin, a pair of underwear out of a fertilizer sack. Yeah. And right across the back side of it, it <laughs> said ammonium nitrate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, I'm just saying, underwear, fertilizer sack, it's strangely appropriate, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> especially uh, since it was ammonium nitrate. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we may have to do this again. It sounds I like you got so. a whole batch of stories you can tell about Fairmount. <laughs> we do have one picture of the archives that Jerry Barksdale brought of that little red store because that was the landmark. If you yeah. were heading out to East Limestone and you were headed one way or the other on Boardsville Road, people say, turn left or right at the Little Red Store. And I'll be doggone if that store's been gone for 20 years and people still don't say, you just turn where the Little Red Store used to be, oh, which yes. I'm sure drives all the newcomers crazy. But the ones yeah. who grew up here, we know what you're talking about, don't we? Well, my granddaddy built that store when my daddy was 12 years old. Oh, my goodness. This was during the Depression. And uh, most everybody bought what they could on credit. Oh, sure. And it was right after that that World War II started. So uh, Right, right. Kind of kick-started the economy. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, I reckon we're going to call it a day. All right. I hate to, but Doug, thank you once again for being yes. on here today. Well, I, I enjoy playing with you guys. Absolutely. Sure. Anytime. And Richard, you got anything else to add today? I've enjoyed every minute of it. Absolutely. Well, thank you both, and we thank you all for listening. Come back again for the next episode of Homegrown History. You've been listening to Homegrown History, presented by the Athens-Limestone County Public Library and the Limestone County Archives in Athens, Alabama. For more information and to submit questions or suggestions for our history podcast, please visit limestonearchives.com. And to hear other recordings from our Library Voices series, check out our website at alcpl.org. You can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.